today we're going to get into a little bit more of what the church looks like. Like, what is the church? What should the church be built upon? What does that mean? What does the building of the church mean? Um, and then, and who is the church? And uh, and all that fun stuff. So we're gonna we're gonna look into that uh, in just a minute. So John chapter thirteen. Are y'all with me? Say I'm here. Say I'm alive, and I love Jesus. Come on, somebody. Oh, that was weak. The last part, you guys were like, "Come on, somebody." Come on, somebody. No, say, come on, somebody. That was a little better. Uh, let's try it one more time, okay? Come on, somebody. There, you felt it that time, didn't you? See the difference? You got to say it from your gut. Man, I remember when I went to the Philippines on this mission trip, I went to this little church in Tondo, which is a very impoverished area of Manila, one of the most impoverished areas of Manila. And this church is blowing up. I mean, you have people, they're literally like, they have a, a, a door that just opens up. And, and it's like the whole backside of the building. And there's people in the streets because there's not enough room in, the, in this building. Um, and this church is, now they're doing like five services a, day, a Sunday. And they're just exploding. And I remember being in this church. And they were singing a hallelujah course, right? We always revert to that, right? You know, Benny Hinn style, hallelujah, right? I mean, I'm talking about. And we Christians love that because it's simple. But they sing hallelujah different over there. They sing it from the depths of their being. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, it's not just a hallelujah, hallelujah. It's a hallelujah. You see the difference? Come on, say hallelujah with me. Say hallelujah. Now say hallelujah. That's pretty good. Well, we'll pray for you. We'll have an alt- hallelujah altar call at the end. Uh, so we're going to read John 13, then we're going to pray for you. No, I'm just kidding. Lord, bless your people. So verse 1, are you ready? Let's read together. You got it up there? I gave you like five minutes to get that ready. There we go. Come on, somebody. All right, let's read together. Don't read out loud, just... Follow me as I speak. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I had a small breakfast this morning. And the devil had already prompted Judas. Uh, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, if you have your Bibles open and you want to highlight that verse, we're going to touch on that in just a minute. Uh, I may have you go back to that in just a second. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Next verse. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Was that it? Do we have one more? Was that it? Is that all I told you? Okay, praise God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we are learning to, uh, what, what leadership looks like. And Father, I thank you for changing our paradigm Lord, you're not just giving us truths or information that will fit in our current paradigm, but Lord, you're changing our paradigm. 
And Father, we thank you that you're forming a new wineskin in the church, that things are changing, that there's reformation. And, and Father, we are a part of that. We are part of the new breed and the new people for a new day that are, that are just rising up in the earth to display what Jesus looks like. And Father, I thank you that we are a part of that, even as a community in the city of Las Vegas, as uh, Encounter Church Las Vegas, as we grab a hold of your heart and what you're saying and what you're doing, you're teaching us what leadership should look like in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Give God one more big shout, would you? Come on, just thank him. Thank you, Lord. So we talked a little bit about this verse, but this is that profound, I mean, you know, he, he says, the writer, John, uh, he says, listen, you know, Jesus had all authority and all power. And then it's, and, and it's interesting that the, the narrative, it defines that or it exemplifies that. And then it says, and then he washed all their feet. Now, we talked about how the, the washing of the feet is one of the most humble things that a servant could do. Now, we're, we wear socks and shoes most of the time, unless it's really hot, we wear sandals, bless God. Um, how many know your feet are like thermostats? You know what I'm talking about? I don't know about you, but I can't have my feet under covers in the night. I got to have my feet out. My, people make fun of me because I get home in the summer and I'm wearing like dress shoes and I take my shoes off. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like a thermostat. And they can literally quote me. I get home, I take my shoes off and David's like, it's like a thermostat, right, dad? I'm like, yes, it is, son. But you're, you're, we, we wear socks and shoes nowadays and it, it was quite different in the first century. I mean, they walked with sandals and their feet were dirty. They lived in a desert climate and they walked behind camels, which means their, their feet landed in camel stuff. You know, you know what stuff is, right? It's that stuff you don't want to step in. And so the foot washer had to deal with the stuff. So Jesus is taking the most humble servant, form of a servant on saying, this is, this is what I'm showing you guys what servant leadership looks like. He's saying, this is the example. I want you to live this out, to walk this out. Now, remember, it's just the 12. It's not the 70. It's not the masses. He's not saying this in the Sermon on the Mount. This is an intimate dinner. This is the Passover. He's revealing his heart to his 12. He's revealing his heart to, I mean, you could put it this way, to his inner circle, to his disciples. Jesus had an inner circle. Did you know that? He had three. Peter, James, and John saw things that the others didn't see. Then he had the nine. Then he had the 70. And then he had the masses that followed him. And so the people that were close to him, he says, listen, guys, this is what love looks like. This is what leadership. Now, remember, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus isn't just some holy prophet. We're not Muslims. Jesus is God. Come on, somebody. Jesus is God with skin on. God became flesh and he dwelt amongst us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And so when God takes on flesh, he washes our feet. I mean, that's a big deal. This mic got a little louder. If we could make it a little less hot, that would be good. Then I have less room. There we go, right there. Boom, thank you. So the the God of all creation that can't be contained took on an earth suit and he said, guys, this is what it looks like. Now, I want to point out a couple things in this portion of Scripture, and then we're going to jump over to Matthew. Are you all with me? We're going to go to Matthew 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. Matthew 16, put your little cute ribbon, your Bible ribbon. Who loves the Bible ribbon? Come on. I love the Bible ribbon. 
And uh, in, in Matthew 16, we're going to read a few verses about what Jesus talked about, about his church. You know, he only mentioned the church like once. And he mentioned the kingdom of God all throughout the gospels. But we're going to look at the, the portion of the scripture where he mentioned the church. I think he mentioned the church a couple times, but we're going to look at the main time we see it in Matthew chapter 16. So here's what I want you to look at here. It says, uh, I believe it was verse 2, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, uh, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, I want you to just highlight that verse for a minute. He knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. I want you to understand as a leader, if you don't know your identity, you will not know your purpose. And, and as a servant leader... Our identity, no matter what we are called to do in the body of Christ, our identity is rooted in Jesus, who is the greatest servant of all. He laid his life down. He was this example for us that we are called to love till the end. The author even writes that in the first verse of John chapter 13. I love it. He says he loved them till the end. Now, it's interesting. Judas was a part of that, and Jesus loved him until the end. So we're called to love Judas. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Right? You ever had to love Judas in your life? You ever had to love the person that betrayed you? We're called to love our enemies. We're called to serve. We're called to love. We're called to lay our life down. But it says here that Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. If you don't know your identity, you won't know your purpose. And it's hard to know what direction you're supposed to go if you don't know who you are. Now, we're going to get, that's a good word right there. Amen. I didn't even hear one amen. What is wrong with you? Come on, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church. Get alive. Go get some coffee out there. Jesus, help these people. So I, I think it's important that we camp on this for a minute because I, I've seen it in the church. Now, and we're going to talk about the sphere of the church right now. When we come into a fellowship or body, we don't know who we are. It's like, I want to serve. I want to do something. I, want to, I don't know what I'm going to do. And we, and we have an identity crisis because we're, we're trying to find our identity in serving or trying to find our identity in our gifts or our talents or our abilities. And we're trying to be good at everything instead of be great at the one thing God called us to do. So you have these paradigms of servanthood where you have people that serve in the church and they serve, 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 serve until they get burnt out, quit, and they hate the church and they never go back. Hello? Some of you are those people and you're here. Praise God. Then you have people that don't do anything. <laughs> Praise God for those people. Then you have people that learn who they are and they do things great. They do well what they're created for because if you know where you're from, you know who you are, you know where you're going, you know your purpose. And as, as servant leaders in the body of Christ, let me just say this. We are all called to be humble servants. One of us is not above the other in that sense. The pastor is not the head. The pat now there's authority, but it's authority is not the same thing as control. But in the spheres of the world, authority and control are synonymous. But that we're going to talk about that. I want to I want to unpack that a little bit because one of the one of my favorite things that's been happening with the, talking about this stuff the last few weeks is that one of the first days that we, uh, we taught on this, there was people at the altar just weeping, getting healed from abusive, controlling leadership in the church. 
or just controlling whatever, you know, father wounds or, or whatever, just things that, that happen, domineering control. And it, it, it's just a paradigm that's paralyzing. It hurts. It's not fun. Nobody wants to live in that stuff. Nobody can grow. Nobody can walk in their destiny in that kind of environment. And it's such a, it's such a, a, a trick because in cultures that feed on that, it's like there's this value system where if, you're, if you serve enough, you get a platform. And, and then if you do well with that platform, you get authority and control over people. How many know what I'm talking about? But that's not the kingdom of God. And so, we, you know, we got to turn it upside down. Jesus turned the paradigm upside down. You know, we, you, you, let me just uh, go back and recap for a minute where James and John, the mother of James and John, are like, hey, Jesus, I want my sons to be at your right and your left hand. And Jesus is like, wait, guys, hold on a minute. And the disciples are all ticked off. And Jesus is like, we need a family meeting. And he says, this isn't how it works, guys. We don't rule like the Gentiles. We don't rule like the world. We don't lead with control and abuse and a value system that isn't healthy. He says, no. The greatest among you is the what? The servant of all. The one who chooses to serve. The one who chooses humility. The one who chooses to come under, not rule over. This is so important, guys, because we think that titles are equivalent to control. So if someone has an apostolic anointing on their life, like that, you know, we have to submit to their covering. What does that even mean? And we're going to talk about this stuff. Can we just get real with this? Like, well, I'm under a church covering. Well, what does that even mean? A church covering is not some invisible blessing that the pastor chooses to release over you because you do what he says. It's a shade of anointing that blesses you from the scorching sun because you need to be shepherded and loved. And it helps you grow into who you are so you can shade other people in life. You see, it's a different value system. And so let's, let's talk about this stuff. Let's talk about the new wineskin. Because if God's forming a new wineskin, I want to be a part of it. And I want to know what it looks like. And I want to look like Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm not going to follow the example that maybe a denomination has set that has failed. Of You know, you have presbytery form of leaderships. You have Episcopal form of leadership styles. And you have all, I want a Jesus form of leadership style. And his form of leadership, according to John 13, is, hey, guys, if you're washing feet, you take the lowest place of a servant, you're doing what I called you to do. And he says the servant is not greater than his master. He said, this doesn't mean you're greater than me. In other words, don't look at it like that, guys. I'm still Jesus. I'm still God. I'm still your master. But I've taken this on because it doesn't matter how great you think you are or how great you are, you should still be humble enough to wash some stinking camel junk off someone's toenails. Amen. Could have used other words, but y'all too religious for me. So chose not to bless God. So he says, Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. If you don't know your identity, you don't know where you're going. You don't know your, have you ever felt in life? I mean, be real. Have you ever felt like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what God's called me to do. I don't know what God's called me to do. Well, now we're going to talk about what you're called. We're going to do a message in this series. We're going to talk about how can you know what God called you to do? And that's important. I don't know about you, but that's important. Sometimes the first thing we look for is, well, I'm going to go up for prayer because I need a prophetic word so I know what I'm called to do. That's not the first thing that you need to go to. That's not your go-to of what you're called to do. Let me just give you a little sneak preview of that message. 
What are you most passionate about and what has God branded your heart with? That's usually a good indicator, number one, of what you're created to do. And we're going to look at probably, you know, multiple things of how do I know what I'm created to do? So Jesus says, guys, this is what it looks like to love. This is what it looks like to lead. This is what it looks like to serve. Authority does not mean control. Control is a counterfeit authority that is rooted in fear and insecurity. It's not the real deal. Someone said, say it again. I will say it again. I think I need to say it again. Control is the counterfeit authority that is rooted in fear and insecurity. It's not healthy. And what we minister, who we are and what we carry, if we carry fear and insecurity, that's what we're going to minister. That's what we're going to impart to people. A value system that is different. A value system where we are... I love it putting this way. It's like you serve to love or you love to serve. Like when you love to serve, sometimes people love to serve. And, and, I, and I've learned this. It's like learning the difference between honor and flattery. How many of there's a difference? Flattery is going to make you feel so more, way more gifted than you are. Honor is going to pull treasures and gifts out of you you never knew you had. Totally different paradigm. So loving to serve sometimes manifests in I'm serving because I want to be exalted. I'm serving because I want control. I'm serving because I want a platform. Hello. But serving to love says I'm serving. Why? What's the motive of my heart? Because I love. Just because I love. Just because from the depths of my heart, I want to love. I want to love people. And I want to see people built. Which is going to move me to the next uh, Scripture, Matthew 16. Are you all enjoying this this morning? I'm teaching you. I'm not preaching too much this morning, but I may in just a minute. So get ready. Fasten your seatbelts. Matthew chapter 16. What if we had seatbelts in church? That'd be cool. Just as a prophetic act. Like, all right, everyone put your... (laughs) Rochelle's the flight attendant. She comes up and does the... Whatever. That was dumb. Matthew 16. All right, are you guys there? Verse 13, you have this uh, back there. Let's read it together. We're going to read verses 13 uh, through 20. Let's read this. This is good. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you Say that I am. Jesus replied, blessed are you. Whoa, I think we skipped a verse there. Oh, glory. I'll just read it right here. Simon answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Come on, let's say that together. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You see, Peter had a revelation of who Jesus is. Now, I want you to just, just like... Meditate on that for just a minute. Jesus had a revelation of, or I'm sorry, Peter had a revelation of who Jesus is. A revelation of who he is. Who is Jesus? The Messiah, the anointed one. The one who is anointed. The one who God sent to save us. Next verse, verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. That's a a good word. Aren't you thankful when God tells you that? 
How many have ever heard, get behind me, Satan, from Jesus? I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's another portion of Scripture. Verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There's the word church. Say church. I love church, man. Come on, somebody. And he says, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's a great memory verse. Matthew 16, 18. He said, I'm going to build my church on that rock. Well, what is the rock? You know, you, you read in uh, the Western church, Catholic church says the rock is Peter. Well, I don't think that's it. I think we need to, we need to read the scripture here and, and let's talk about this. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Verse 20, and then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Amen. What is the church? The church What is building the church? What does that mean? Jesus says, I'll build my church. I'm going to build my church. What is he building his church on? On the rock. What is the rock? The rock is the revelation that Peter had of who Jesus is. The church is people. What does it mean to build the church? To build the church does not mean to make the building better, although I like good buildings. Hello? To build the church is not to build a structure or to build a system or an empire. To build the church is not to build a wineskin of just administrative duties within the church. That's not building the church. Hello? Now, those things can lead to building the church, but that's not building the church in and of themselves. Can I hear you say amen? Building the church is building people. So if what we do to enhance those other areas build people, then it's good. But if what we do to enhance those other areas doesn't build people, then we're not. What is the church built on? What is the church built on? It's built on the rock of who Jesus is. In other words, we're building lives on the revelation of Jesus being the son of God, the humble servant, the one who gave his life, the one who loved till the end. Come on, somebody. That's the foundation of what the people of God, the community of the saints is to be built upon. Now, other portion of scriptures, can you say amen? Isn't that good? The church is built on the cornerstone, Jesus, and the apostles and prophets. Now, a lot of times we think about that, and you can find this in Ephesians. You can find it in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to read these scriptures. But I want to I just note here that it, it's an upside-down pyramid. It, it's not like the foundation and then, you know, uh, you have people that, you know, that serve, that serve, that serve. And we're all serving the apostle. We're all serving the prophet. And then we're serving the evangelist. And we're serving... No, it's the other way around. In other words... The greater the authority, the greater the servanthood. And authority does not mean control. Let me repeat what I said earlier. Control is a counterfeit authority that is rooted in fear and insecurity. Because we're afraid that people will hurt us, so we think I have to control them so they don't hurt me. Let's sink in right there. Ow, ow, ouch. Jesus. We're afraid people will hurt us, so we think that the best thing to do is control them. But that's not the best thing to do. The best thing to do is love them. And sometimes that means set boundaries. Sometimes that means there's practical wisdom. Love corrects and protects. But it doesn't mean control. People are responsible for themselves. And a responsible leader, if we are the church, which is not a building, but a people, a community... A church that's built on the revelation of who Jesus is, is built on the foundation of love and servanthood that 
the number one responsibility, hear me, the root of our responsibility is to serve and love. That's the responsibility of a leader. What's a leader's responsibility? To love people. Not control them, to love them, to love well. So if a pastor has a a church membership of 300, he has 600 feet to wash, unless someone's missing a feet. That's a lot of feet to wash. Come on, somebody. Everybody wants a great platform. But when you realize it ain't the platform, it's about the people. Hello? I remember one of my first times doing a funeral. I was coming into my pastoral self. And, you know, at this point, I didn't know the difference between the title and the function. Hello? Let that sink in. I didn't know the difference between the title. I love when people call me pastor when I first, thank you. (laughs) Praise God. I'm a pastor. Yes, I am. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What'd you say? <laughs> Praise God. I remember when I became a, I remember like a, a Bible study when I was Pastor Zach. Like we had planted the church. And I remember like, man, Bible study was so good. The presence of the Lord just flooded the room. And I'm like, well, that's because I'm a pastor now. And later on, I realized it's like, no, I was always anointed. I just had a little more confidence in my anointing. Hello? Now, we're going to talk about the whole anointing thing, too. But I remember the first time I did a funeral. And I remember, like, okay, I'm, I'm pastoral now. Like, I have to do these things. This is like a reality. So I remember thinking and premeditating, I want to do my first funeral. I want it to be a dude that's been serving Jesus for 79 years. And he graduates to glory. So everyone's happy and they're like, he's not suffering anymore. And he, oh, how he loved Jesus. And so let us celebrate he's in heaven with Jesus. That's what I want to, how many think that's, that's a, a much more easy funeral to do than some of the other funerals that are out there. Hello, are you feeling me? All right. That wasn't my first funeral. And I got a call. Actually, my wife got a call from her friend. They go to another church. And let that speak for itself, because there's a lot of people that go to other churches that aren't shepherded, and we shouldn't draw a line in the sand and say, well, since you don't go to my church, I'm not going to shepherd you. It doesn't mean you invest all your time, but you still love people, and you don't think and limit yourself in churchianity. Let that sink in. So this person called my wife, and she says, my, my niece died, and uh, she's 16 years old. And she got drunk and she snuck out of the house and got in a really bad car accident. Wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And, uh, I mean, they couldn't even identify her body. Her head was like the size of two basketballs. And I mean, it was just the worst story imaginable. And, and she's like, and she was a Buddhist. And so we don't know if she loved, if she was a believer and, you know, and so that always puts, that throws a wrench in, you know, like, is she in hell? I mean, like, well, oh, my God, if we're evangelicals, you know, we think about those things, right? And, uh, and so she's like, my pastor wasn't available, and there's no one calling me back, and I just need someone to pray with my family. Can you send Zach? And so Rochelle calls me, and I remember pulling over in this parking lot, like, I don't want to do this because I'm, I'm afraid. Like, what am I going to say to these people? What am I going to say to them? There, you, you know, there's times in life where your leadership cannot be displayed with a sermon or some special sweet prayer. It can only, your, your leadership and love for people can only be shown by just 
like affection and love and mercy and tears. How many know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes I don't need you to tell me what to do. I just need you to weep with me. You ever been in that place? Like I just need you to come and tell me I'm not alone. And so I went to this house and I sat in the parking lot. I remember exactly where I was. I was on Blue Diamond and uh, near Southern Highlands, Blue Diamond and I-15. And I pulled in the parking lot and I'm praying. And God's like, you wanted to be a pastor? This is what it's all about. I'm like, but they're not even part of my church. He's like, they're a part of my church. I'm like, oh, no matter what I say, Lord, I'm gonna, I have to go, don't I? You know, there's no way talking myself out of it. And, and so I show up. Oh, man, and you can just feel the heaviness in the room. And immediately, if you're pastoral, you start bearing their burdens. How many know what I'm talking about? You just want to weep with them. You're like, God, this is an injustice. This wasn't God's will. This sucks. This is not fun. Death is real. And, and these things happen, and there's casualties of war, and, and, you, and you don't need to tell them why. You just need to weep with them. You don't need to, like, give them some, you know, theological explanation that the future's open to possibilities and it wasn't God's will. You don't need all that. You don't need to say, well, God is in control, so it's His will. For some reason, He did it. No, 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 that makes things worse. That's a false sense of comfort. You don't need any of that. What you need is love in those moments. Hello? And so I prayed with the family, and I remember praying, and I remember this young man. Uh, he wasn't a church-going dude, long-haired dude, you know. And um, that's what I looked like when I started going to church, long-haired dude. But I remember this guy, I prayed, and man, the presence of the Lord just came. And I didn't know what to pray, and, I, and words just filled my mouth, and, and the Holy Spirit filled this room. And I, I don't think maybe one or two people in this room was, was a believer. And, and this guy was like, wow, that was amazing. This, this unbelieving dude, he was one of the relatives, and we're praying. So then come, it comes time for the funeral, and I'm asking the family, what do you want me to do? And they're like, well, she was Buddhist. And I'm like, well, I'm not Buddhist, so i got to talk about Jesus. And... Like, you know, what do I do here? And, and so I honored them. I did talk about Jesus, but I, I show up to the funeral and I'm thinking, well, maybe there's going to be like 30, 40 people and I'm getting ready and I have all my notes, you know, and I'm like, my, I'm doing a funeral. This is a big deal. My first funeral, it wasn't an old dude that loved Jesus. It was a 16 year old girl. Like, just think about that for a minute. It, it sucked. It was, it, it was a hard moment for me. And so I'm like getting ready and the place starts filling up. And we're at Palm Mortuary and we didn't go to the little chapel. We were in the big chapel. I'm like, uh-oh, Rochelle, we're in the big chapel. You know what that means? Like this might be a big funeral. Turns out there's over 500 people that show up to this funeral. And I went up there and I got to tell them that Jesus can calm the storms of life. And Jesus can give us peace. And Jesus loves us. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I had to serve and love these people. And I remember this revelation of, I'm just called to love people. Like that's, a pastor isn't called to control. He's called to lead them. It doesn't mean he doesn't have authority, but our authority is in our serving, not our control. Hello. And Jesus said, I'll build my church and the power of Hades will not prevail against it. Why? Because Hades, the gates of Hades, if you look at it from a first century perspective, it had to do with the empirical system of the Roman Empire. And that system rules by control and fear and punishment. Come on, somebody. He says that will not penetrate when you love like I love. I'm getting drunk on this sermon. 
The love of God is just amazing. He, he turns our paradigms upside down. And then we realize this is what I'm called to do. I'm called to love people. I'm called to build people, not a system, not an institution, but a community of people. I'm called to build people. I'm called to see people do well in life. I'm called to see people come into their destiny. I'm called to see people come alive and who they're created to be, not to stifle them, to shade them. So they have room to grow, not to control them, but to get behind them. You know, my favorite things to do is to hear somebody say, yeah, we don't, not sure if we're called to plant a church, but we're just going to start a fellowship in our home. And I'm like, I'm behind you. What do you need? You need worship leaders? Like, how can we serve you? You don't have to be a part of my church. I love that. Why? Because it's just real community of people that say, we just want to break bread with people and love them and just connect. And I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not really a part of a church right now. I'm like, that's okay. You're loved. And I love getting behind people like that because I want to see people walk in their destiny, not just the sheep in the fold. I want to see the city church come alive and do well because that's how we're going to win Las Vegas. Come on, somebody. Now let's close with Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4. And and I want to close with these verses. And and we're going to uh, expound and exegete these verses a little more. Um, But let's start reading Ephesians 4. And I just want to close and just kind of seal this word with the reading of this uh, beautiful portion of Scripture. Verse 7 of Ephesians 4, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ opportuned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Uh, What does this he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended... The very one who is, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave, this is the fivefold ministry, this is where that term comes from, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now why did he give these gifts to the church? Let's read verse 12. To equip his people for works of service. If you're equipping if your if your mentorship or your coaching if if or you your discipleship if you as a disciple or a student is not being equipped to serve then it's probably the wrong value system what flows from the top should flow a love that makes us take the lowly position to come under to serve to love till the end, to even love our enemies, to even love ISIS. Well, what about this? And what about, I don't, I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about USA. I'm talking about kingdom. We pray for radical encounters for members of ISIS because God loves them. And guess what? They're coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. More Muslims are being saved now than any time in history. You see, in the wrong paradigm, we think, well, what we need is guns. What we need is to poison their water. What we need is to, I mean, whatever. We, it's like what we need is to, you know, but that's, that's the wrong value system. It's the wrong value system. And God forbid we ever have to face anything like someone is trying to take our life because we love Jesus. But you know, those that were beheaded, the Coptic Christians, one of the oldest known Christian communities in the Eastern church, 
Do you know what the bishop said when he asked, what is your stance on this horrific event that happened? He said, we, it's easy. We forgive them. It's easy. We forgive them. It's easy. We forgive them. Do you know what one of the mothers said? Her two sons were beheaded by a a violent spirit. She said, I would invite members of ISIS in my home if perhaps their heart would be open to the love of God. Wow. I mean, what an example of love. What an example of grace. What an example of mercy. That's what changes the world, friends. It's not control. It's not instituting our beliefs in, our, in the political powers of the day. Come on, that's the leaven of Herod. It is the leaven, it's the leaven of the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God that ever increases in the earth. Guess what the kingdom is? It's the reign of God's love. The government of God is not control. It's a reign of His very love that flows from His heart. And this is what we're called to equip equip people with. We are called to equip people to serve, not to rule. He goes on and Paul says, So the body, people, not the building, the church, the people, the community, not an institution, the people, the organism, not the organization, the, the community, hello, the people. So the people will be built up. Built up until we all reach unity. Oh, yes, Lord, we need unity. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Not unity in beliefs. Hello? Unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. Why? Why? So that we can be mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the end goal. We become more like Jesus because we're Christians. Because we follow him. And he said, guys, this is what you're called to do on Passover, before his betrayal, before he goes to the cross. He's like, this is, this is an important night. It was an intimate moment. And he said, I'm going to reveal my heart. I'm going to wash your feet, Peter. No, 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 don't wash my feet. I need to wash your feet. Peter, shut up. That's paraphrase. <laughs> Peter's like, oh, and Jesus is like, if you, don't, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. What? In other words, if you don't learn to serve like this, you're not, you're not doing anything near to what I called you to do. <sighs> Jesus, or Peter's like, then wash everything. Jesus is like, you don't need a bath because you stank. You need to learn to serve and love. Come on. Even if it means washing camel poo off toenails. Now let that be a metaphor for some rough stuff that you got to deal with in ministry. Hello? You got to love people through their mess. You got to love them through their sin. You don't judge them. You don't come over them and tell them what's wrong with them. You don't tell them what they're not doing right. You love them well. And they grow and they mature. They become more like Jesus. You equip them to serve. How do you equip them to serve? You serve. What's the best way to teach someone how to serve? Serve. Best way for me to teach you how to serve is to serve. How can I teach you humility? If you just read the Bible. No, how about I just humble myself? Hello? Jesus, we want your heart. We fail as leaders when we don't beat with your heart, God. And I pray that you would just burn within us these realities, these truths, so that we may exemplify what a leader looks like. We, we take our roots out of any fear and insecurity 
Because we don't want to manifest the counterfeit authority, that counterfeit fruit called control. We want, we want to be great, but we don't. We're not power hungry, Lord. We're, we want to do what you've called us to do, but we want to, we want to serve and we want to love and we want to equip people. We want to be foot washers, Lord. Even the world is looking for people that would just serve and just love. In our communities, our cities, our, our neighbors, God. I mean, what does it look like to manifest Jesus to our neighbor? Maybe it just means don't invite him to church. Don't say nothing. Help him fix his car. I mean, what does it look like? What does it look like to be a servant, uh, to be a foot washer to humanity? It doesn't look like standing on a street corner and says, God hates you, you know, or, or God's mad at you or, or repent or you're going to die. I don't think that's what it looks like at all. I think it looks like love. I think it looks like servanthood. I think it looks like acceptance and forgiveness. And so, Lord, we want that heartbeat. And I pray for anyone in this room that has ever been hurt by domineering leadership, let the oil of heaven come. And heal every part of their heart. And I repent on behalf of anyone that has ever hurt you. That's not God's heart. We want to lead like you, Jesus. We want to be the church that's shining and glorious. We don't want to be an embarrassment to Christianity. We want to shine. We want... We want to love well. We want to love well, God. We want to look like love. We want to manifest your kingdom. Lord, thank you that you're going to build your church on the revelation of who you are. That's the foundation. That's where it all starts. And you're a humble servant. You're a humble king. You gave everything because you loved. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that. Let that heart be in us. Let that desire, those thoughts, the very mind of God, the very heart of God, the will of God, the desires of God burn in our hearts as we do what we're called to do in our lifetime. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Now, I want to ask you right now, uh, if you just want prayer, if you say, man, I I want to learn this stuff. I want to be a humble servant. I want to, I don't want to just uh, you know, I don't want to be someone that just loves to serve. I want to serve just to love. I, I don't need a platform. I, I just want to love people. I want to build people. Uh, or maybe you've been hurt by leadership or, and you just feel like you need healing. Uh, whatever it is, I, I want my prayer team to get ready. I want you to prayer team right now. Would you just pray softly in the spirit right now? Yeah, this is a really good thing to learn in our culture that when when I'm closing, that there is a fervency and I want the prayer warriors to really just pour into the atmosphere with your prayers. This is a really good moment for you to just come on, pray. Pray in the Holy Spirit because there's people in here that need wholeness. There's people that need healing. Maybe you're confused about what God's called you to do. Maybe you're like, I don't know where I came from. I don't know where I'm going. I need to know my identity before I know my purpose. Whatever, however this message spoke to you, I want to invite you in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to come. Would you close your eyes? Prayer warriors praying. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, pray, pray, pray. If you're in here and maybe you just want to surrender to this Jesus. You're like, man, I like this brand of Christianity. Jesus sounds great. 
Maybe you got maybe you got a bad taste of religion. I'm representing Christ to you. This is the God of Christianity revealed in Jesus. He's a lover of all lovers. And he changes people's lives, man. He'll break the bondages of sin over your life. If you, if you struggle with addictions or alcoholism, he will set you free. So maybe if you're here, you say, I just want to surrender my life to Jesus. If any of those apply to you, I want you right now on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three, say, pastor, pray for me. I need God. I need Jesus. I want to be a servant leader. Hands going up. Come on, raise your hand. Say, I've been, I've been hurt, man. I want to get healed. I just need, I, or maybe you're called to lead. I'm called to lead and I want to follow Jesus. Raise your hand too. We're just going to do a three-in-one altar call. Anyone else? Come on, raise your hand up high. You can put your hand down. Thank you, Lord. Whether you raise your hand or didn't, we're going to invite you to come up and we're going to pray for you and then we're going to dismiss everybody else. And I want to take some time and pray for people. I always like to do that. But if you need prayer for any of those areas, you want to give your life to Jesus, just come. That's it. Come on. Would you, can we just give God praise as they come right now? You're not ashamed. You're saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to, I want to be the leader God called me to be.